everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy. I'm your host, Nathan Bartlebaugh. I'm going to be joined with an old guest of the show, Nathan Bell. Nathan, how's it going? Good. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well, and uh, Nathan is still over at uh, these go to 11, right? Yeah. And I think you have an, uh, a relatively new co-host over there, right? Yeah, Zach Bartles um, from Gut Check Press. He started his own podcast um, going solo from that clinch. Um, he was on the these go to 11 uh, two or three times, so he offered to step in and uh, join me when Steve had to bow out. So it's been, we've done two episodes so far, and it's been uh, crazy and fun. And you guys are usually over there talking theology and whatnot, although I, I believe your first episode was a Black Panther episode. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, these go to 11 has always been an interesting mix of whatever happens to flow through. We usually have something that we're starting with, and then we kind of meander through other points of conversation. So we had started talking about Black Panther and our thoughts on that, and then it just kind of meandered into a discussion on discernment. Um, you know, what what do you allow your children to watch? What don't you allow your children to watch? Why? And different things like that. So, yep, good times. Oh, we're far more structured over here. <laughs> <laughs> Using the template we set up with Pop, with Pop Culture Ninja, you know, nothing but uh, pure structure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Nathan's showing me tonight. We have a couple things to talk about. And uh, one of those is a review of the new, the newest Tomb Raider movie, yeah. which is not in any way associated with the previous two Tomb Raider movies. Thankfully, uh, yes. But, but, <laughs> well, it depends. I mean, I think those movies have their their fans. Sure. I don't. Um, I'm not a huge fan. We can probably talk a little bit about them, but I don't. Uh, I think I appreciate the second one more than the first. They're um, they're definitely in the kind of silly goofball yeah. category. And this movie is not. Uh, it's, it's in a different sort of, it's in the same genre, but on a different side of the genre yeah. than the original. So that, uh, we'll talk about that. And uh, before that, we just finished watching the first three episodes <laughs> of Ash vs. Evil Dead. And maybe we should maybe we should actually save Ash vs. Evil Dead until the end. Yeah. That might be the part that only a limited, <laughs> a limited audience <laughs> will want to hear. Oh but, man. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk Tomb Raider. We just saw it um last night. Yep. It it releases this coming weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh I guess it's it's fair to say that this Tomb Raider is coming out at a very different kind of time and place than the other one did and with a with a far different audience in yeah. mind. And I think that's pretty clear. Um Right off the bat, but maybe before we hit the movie, we can talk a little bit because I'm uh, I never played the old series of video games. Yeah. I never had any of the consoles on which the original Tomb Raider games. It was at PS One, PS One, yeah. Uh, that those and games then came out. On. Okay, yeah, yeah computer systems. I remember it was kind of a big thing in the late '90s. Was maybe when the first Lara yeah, Croft game. Yeah, '96 was when the first okay. one came out, and then they did Tomb Raider Two was '97, Tomb Raider Three was '98. And at that point, they were sort of just touching base into the 3D sort of platform yep. games. The first, the first one I remember was a big deal. Mostly, it was a big deal because there was a curvy girl in <laughs> in tight shorts jumping through, um, you know, jungle mazes. It's amazing what you can do digitally nowadays. Well, <laughs> or well, back well, then. what was funny was they were making a big deal back then. It was essentially some. Uh, peach-colored polygons right. with tan-colored <laughs> polygons covering a small percentage of them. <laughs> so I never quite got the hullabaloo there. Right. Uh, and, of course, then a few years later, they upgraded and cast Angelina Jolie as the, <laughs> as Laura Croft in the Tomb Raider, uh, the first movie, which was 2001, I think the summer of 2001. Yeah, I think that's right. Did you, did you play any of the original games? I did, yeah. It was, I mean... I'm a couple years younger than you, Nathan, and so I remember going over to my buddy's house. He had a PlayStation, and you know that was as a young middle schooler. That was our digital fantasy, I guess, at the time. You know, I think I was in sixth grade or something when it came out, and uh, so I remember playing it. I remember being fascinated by the fact that, like, I think you had one scene in the beginning where she alludes to going swimming and needing to change or something like that. But that was it. The rest of it was a really um, fun adventure story with a female character that had really never been done in that way before. Um, And so I remember kind of playing the first one. I remember playing some of the subsequent ones that came out afterwards, but never – 
I kind of dropped out of it. You know, once I outgrew my immature middle school phase, I entered my <laughs> immature high school phase and, uh, you know, decided, eh, you know, it's a video game. Who cares? Um, but I will say that the latest installments of Tomb Raider that have come out, uh, Laura Croft video Tomb games, Raider, yeah. yeah, Laura Croft Tomb Raider, and then um, the second one, Rise of the Tomb Raider, have got me excited for the franchise again. It's not only a great story, but it's realistic. You're not dealing with, you know, Laura Croft, you know, triple Z um, bust, <laughs> you know. I mean, this is a realistic young woman who is dealing with events and she has to rely on her skill and stealth in order to make it through and do what she has to do. She can't just go out guns blazing. Um, and so I, I've really enjoyed these latest installments of Tomb Raider that have come out. And you started playing the first one, Laura Croft Tomb Raider. What were your thoughts on that one and playing it? Yeah, so I, I have played through a little bit of that. Um, I The way I tend to purchase games is through like the five ninety nine sale <laughs> on... Um, on like when the PlayStation Store and yeah. and of course they seem to have a sale every other week. Yes, I've, I picked up playing it and um, on a, I think half your recommendation and half a recommendation from Chris Durham who played yeah. too was really impressed with it. Just with the ambiance and what's going on in the game and it all sort of surrounds on, on this one island and so it felt very limited in one element yep. because you're used to these sort of games. And the films, and of course, they're all. This is all sort of an extrapolation of uh, Indiana Jones. You know, all yeah. kind of springs from that. Uh, well, Indiana Jones, and maybe even further back to like Alan Quartermain and King Solomon's Mines, yeah. and like the uh, tone is a little different. It's all sort of secluded on the island. There's yeah. a really, there's a sense it's built off of some of these games. There are moments of it where it feels almost closer to, I, I don't want to say like a horror game, right. but there's an element where you're sneaking up. You have to, because you're a smaller lither, Laura right. Croft, and you aren't invincible, right. and sometimes you're only armed with a bow and arrow, and occasionally less, yep. you have to sort of sneak up on people and fight them, sometimes hand-to-hand. And yep. so there's a lot of sneaking and creeping and the kind of stuff that you would associate with like a horror game. Yes. And it, it builds very gradually. And so... Knowing that they, and I haven't played any of Rise of the Tomb Raider, yeah. but I was impressed with that element of it. Very realistic, a very um, kind of nuanced. It, it's it's pretty violent. It gets yeah. pretty intense. It, it's actually probably more impressive that they managed to pull a, a PG thirteen out of this and some of the other video games yes. to to movies that they've done. Uh, but there's a story that's developing there too. They're trying to build in a sense of mystery. Yeah. I think the difficulty when you have these, particularly uh, the game, benefits from your sort of controlling Laura, and it's really fun to sort of hunt people with your bow right. and arrow because it, it kind of this is the Tomb Raider that is born out of the Hunger Games, yes. you know, yeah. and, and that kind of mentality. And she, this Laura Croft, I think this is where we kind of talk about the difference between. The two versions. I yes. mean, clearly the video game version is just she's an honorary boy right? Uh, on the inside. And then right. outside, she's like some 12-year-old's like adolescent <laughs> fantasy. She's completely unrealistic. She's just like, you know, Jessica Rabbit, right. for lack of a better term, yeah. who happens to run through the jungle and do things. <laughs> and it's 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 kind of bla- uh, brazenly so. I mean, yeah. there's no – make no bones about it. And so when they cast Angelina Jolie and they did the first Tomb Raider – there's no bones made about that either. Right. It's like a 12-year-old's face. It's like they stuck a tube onto some 12-year-old boy's brain and said what, whatever came out, they turned it into a movie. Yeah. And that was, that and was that Tomb was Raider. Uh, and I think Simon West, who also directed such classics as Con Air, yeah. was responsible for that movie. Um, it's not a very good movie. Yeah. I, I feel hesitant to call it a movie. Yeah. It sort of feels like a lot of MTV music videos sort of combined yeah. together. I mean, that was... I think that's the same summer that The Mummy Returns came out. And that movie was like ADD to the max. I really enjoyed the first Mummy. The second Mummy is just like, it's just overload. (laughs) It's like... It's like the first mummy on pixie sticks, and I right. just can't stop. <laughs> and then suddenly you're like, wow, I've been in the theater for like two hours. And like Tomb Raider was even worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> and there was like... Minus a, the pygmy mummies. The pygmy mummies. They were kind of fun. I liked that. That was Mummy Returns. Um, but Tomb Raider, it had all the pieces that you kind of want to enjoy in that, yeah. which is like this, the kind of uh, 
swashbuckling tone. It's funny to go back and watch it and you see some of the other actors in there. Like yeah. you you see um Daniel Craig. Yes, and Ian Glenn who's uh now he's on most people recognize him for playing Jorah the Handle on Game of Thrones. Yeah. He's the villain. But Daniel Craig, you're like, Daniel Craig, what are you doing here? Right. And uh and, and, and Jolie's going on to be a better I mean, to be a good actress. Right. She wasn't required to do a whole lot in this movie. And my really only comment on this is it's a pretty sad state of affairs when you have to give Angelina Jolie a fake bust. <laughs> it, and, and I'm not a person who's sitting there paying attention to that detail, but it's just it's so clear in some scenes. Like there are scenes where right. she's standing and she looks like a Picasso painting because like half of it's up here and half of it's down there. And you're like, dude, adjust yourself. But uh, the action scenes, it's all sort of cobbled together. It doesn't yeah. have any kind of sense or flow. There's an attempt to like sort of do some Ray Harryhausen creatures. Yeah. But it, there's no plot, so to speak. The plot's like incomprehensible. They're right. trying to use a doomsday thingy to do another thingy. Right. And none of it, if you... It only makes sense in the fact that, okay, we have to get to the crazy jungle right. with the stone monsters. We have to go over here and look at this. And I think it was Ebert who reviewed it, who strangely gave the movie like three stars or something. And But he said that basically there there's no plot. It's just an excuse to get from one set piece to the next set piece right. to the next set piece. I think he was... Um, I think he must have been dazed by the bosom because the three stars <laughs> seems a little high. I it, it it was exactly what it was advertised as, but it wasn't much, and I don't think right. I was a little surprised it got a sequel. Right. Did you see the sequel? I did. Yeah, it, I, you know, just real quick about the first one. I think what it actually did fairly well was I feel like it it pretty much took the video game and brought the video game to life. I think as much as people were complaining about you know video game movies being made at the time. This first one really, I mean, there, there wasn't a terrible amount of plot in that first game. It was Laura Croft running around, moving from scene to scene and just shooting things and, you know, kind of doing that stuff. And so I think the sequel, when that comes out, um, they decided to start focusing a little bit more on the story. And so you have a more interesting and compelling story. You bring Gerard Butler into it, who is the main male protagonist uh, slash antagonist. Um, he kind of plays a dual role in that movie, and the the guy who played in Blood Diamond, Jamin Hudson, yes, and also he, Amistad, yeah, and, and Deep Rising for right. all you nerds, um, you know. So you you bring more of an acting presence into it, which you know really to me made the movie more enjoyable. Yeah. Kieran Hines is the villain in that one, mm-hmm. and so um, and and uh, it's uh, Noah Taylor was is their sort of tech guy in both films. Yeah. And, yeah, I think the second one's an improvement. To go quickly what you say, because I think that's a point that will probably carry over even our thoughts on these movies and yeah. the, the future one, is the, the fact of making it a, like a video, saying, like, okay, yeah. they translated. They did. They didn't really try to translate video game to movie. They tried to just translate video game to hour-and-a-half uninteractive right. format. Yes. I feel like biggest criticism I have, and I just watched the movie recently with the kids, because it is, it's pretty mild. Yeah. There's like some, there's some brief like innuendo that's right. easy to skip over. Um, not nudity per se, but sort right. of like weird kind of cheesecake teasing scenes or whatever. But most of the rest of the film is relatively bloodless. Right. Uh, there, there is a, there is a cameo by John Voight. Who, yeah. I think it was back when he and Jolie were still on speaking terms or whatever, but, right. uh, that, that plays in with the storyline involving her father. But, it's really like watching someone else play a video game. Yeah. Like, it, there, there's almost nothing else for it. The, the scene opens up with her battling like a robot, and it's yeah. that same kind of feel where you're wondering if the people who made this movie have any idea of what movies look like. Or yeah. they were just, they just decided, hey, we have a camera and special effects, let's make a video game. Right. And does to me, it just did work. The second movie is directed by Jean Dubon, also not necessarily a world-class filmmaker yeah. he was he is uh, a director responsible for twister yeah among among other movies and uh twister and speed yeah but he does ha- he has an eye and he has an ability to make effective action movies yeah. I, it, it, it's strange to me that he's worked less than guys like roland emmerich and right, michael right. bay um <laughs> maybe he just got tired of doing it but i mean i i feel like he's a little he, he's a little bit more skilled in that yeah. That area, there's still not a lot. There's a little bit more right. plot. I think. Um, I think one of my favorite lines in the movie is, you know, she, they're trying to explain to her about Pandora's box because that right. plays into the plot, and she's like, "Oh, uh, well, that's the Sunday school version." And again, right. I think it was Ebert who said only Lara Croft would go to a school to a Sunday school where they <laughs> where they talked about the Pandora's box. <laughs> but uh, the 
the action scenes are a little bit more like cohesive. There's yeah. a lot of really great like cinematography and stuff yeah. like that. And this is a movie that does start to harken back into like that B movie matinee. Yeah. Almost Raiders of the Lost Ark was pulling from 1930s serials, and the, this yeah. movie starts to go there. Yeah. It's still pretty dumb. Yeah, I think there's a scene where she like cuts herself and then smacks a shark on the nose. So right, it will carry her up to the surface in a scene where it's primarily so Angelina Jolie can be in a wetsuit. Right, and you're right. Gerard Butler has a role that's pretty similar to like the Daniel Craig yeah. role. It goes a little bit different way, but I remember enjoying the movie in its very goofy terms. Yeah, I think it's important to remember, at least for me, it's like. The goofiness is like a major selling point of those movies. Yes. Um, if they weren't goofy, they'd be deadly dull and they wouldn't be interesting at all. Right. Like the first, the first one almost works as a bad movie, and then the second one works as that kind of just like with some of the same goofy charm that the Mummy movie, yeah, the first the first Mummy movie. Had. But I don't I feel like both of them. They didn't in any way attempt to give Laura Croft any sort of character, other yeah. than I mean. Jolie's like pouty lips are like her primarily right. defining <laughs> at, attribute, be it physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual, or right. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And the movie doesn't even make any bones about that. It just sort yeah. of goes with it. Um, so th- they're out there. I wouldn't really recommend them. Um, if you're a fan of that kind of a thing, right. they're catching up. But if you're sitting here and you're seeing the trailer for Tomb Raider and you're interested and you're thinking, I know nothing about Lara Croft or Tomb Raider, you're not really going to learn it yeah, you're not, from yeah. those two movies. You would yeah. be probably better suited to... Uh, play the video game, right. or probably just go directly to the movie. Yeah, um, because yeah. I feel like the movie. Uh, before we really get into it, it does feel like this movie uh, in its descendants. It's playing off of some more recent action and adventure yeah. movies, but it also there's a structure and a feel to it that goes back to some of those adventure films from the '60s. Like, yeah. I you could you could track this back to the old version of like King Solomon's Mines with Stuart Granger, like. The, the kind of plot and the way the film was handled, or like some of the Harryhausen movies that didn't have to do with Greek mythology, movies like yeah. Mysterious Island, things like that. Like, there, some of those movies, they they took a while to get where they were going, but they were pretty deliberate. Yeah. And there's a feel, there's a feel of this where there's a more uh, classical feel to the way the film's put together than, say, like the previous Tomb Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would definitely, I would definitely agree with that. You know, I mean, Joy and I, we own the the first two Tomb Raiders, the ones with Angelina Jolie, and we pull those out every once in a while when we want, you know, something to fall asleep to on a Saturday. You know, that's kind of how I describe those movies. They're good to put in. You don't have to think about them. You can fall asleep and wake up to them, and you're not missing anything in the plot. This one... Sure, um, they're pretty innocuous. Yeah, yeah. exactly. This one, what, what the games did was they took a female character and they made her very compelling within the game Laura Croft Tomb Raider and Rise of the Tomb Raider um, you, you're you working through with her in this journey as you're playing um, as you're playing her character and you you struggle with her like you you feel at times that sense of tension and frustration as she's working through the jungle trying to obtain her ultimate goal um, throughout the throughout the game, and I feel like they did a really good job since the the game was so rich, bringing part of that into this movie, a character that you uh, you, you wanted to follow, you wanted to see where she was going, you wanted to see how she was going to become the person she was going to become, um, and you and I will talk about this. Uh, I don't think it always hits the mark with it. But I think that she is a character that you ultimately care about and you want to see again. Yeah, and and what I'll issue right now is to say that this is going to be mostly a spoiler-free review. I don't really, sure. I with this particular film, I don't really feel a need. There's not a lot I'll need to say that measures yeah. into spoiler territory. We're not going to really talk about anything that isn't revealed in yeah. the trailers for the most part. Uh, so you can rest your spoiler-free review. And um, I guess to set this up, the last we've reviewed a couple of video game movies. We particularly back when we had Pop Culture Ninja, yeah. And I remember reviewing, um, I think it was Warcraft. Yeah, it was like the last time. And so when we did that movie, we were sort of going over the fact that I pretty much dislike most video game, yeah, to to like live action movie adaptations, pretty much across the board, right? And that that movie particularly, I was very frustrated that that, that adaptation frustrated me because it didn't step out of the bounds of the video game. It mm-hmm. always tried to stay very close and to the point where it didn't try to do anything that would have adapted it to make it more interesting for an audience. It gets back into that, yeah. I'm just playing the game. Right. 
something that's I think up on the table for discussion, regardless of you know how well we think the movie ultimately is, is that the creators of this film are deli- are trying to make an actual movie, yes. and it's pretty much clear from the very opening. Yeah, I mean maybe in the very opening because the very opening is what you typically expect from this sort of movie, right. where you've got a voiceover intoning yeah. about horrible, terrible mythological things right. that may have happened in the not so distant past in Japan. Yeah. Uh, so those things, uh, you would kind of expect that. But when the film jumps in and we're introduced to Laura, yeah. uh, the tone of the film is completely different than what you would expect. Yes. It's very real. It puts her right up front in a uh, – she's in a ring fighting yeah. another uh, girl. Yeah. And I think – and this, again, it's not really spoilers, but what you see immediately, the the Angelina Jolie films are immediately establishing that she is this unstoppable badass, right. really, and that she can kind of do – Everything she's sparring off with a robot, right. and she's like wrecking it. She is the Tomb Raider at this point, the the unstoppable, well, the, invincible yeah. Tomb Raider. Well, and in her whole physique, right. like she's this kind of again like curvy Amazon doing right. flips. And and this Laura, played by Alicia Vikander, she's very like scrappy and yeah. kind of lithe and scrawny. And she isn't. Um, she's not stacked. She looks like like an like an average athletic, healthy girl. There's right. nothing about her. That makes you intimidated, right. and in fact, the opening scene there is demonstrating how she doesn't win the match. That she's she can yeah. kind of hold her own, but she's you know there's people that are better than she right. is, and there's nothing particularly special about her. Right. Uh, and the the movie spends some time allowing her to have dialogue back and forth right. with various characters and establishing that she's not a rich girl living in a manor. Right. And uh, the reason for that is kind of up front is that her dad is missing just like the other versions. Yeah. However, in some of these other versions where it's established that her father's dead, right. that is open for debate. She hasn't she is, located She is father. still searching yeah. for him. And, and and to sign the in absentia papers that would, that would render him missing right. would give her money and income, but it would also kind of put that it would close that hope off for her. Right. He's still out there. So they spend a lot of time on these scenes. Yeah. And there's a scene in London with kind of a bike race sort yeah. of like extreme sports yeah. sort of thing. And it's fun. And it, it kind of starts to put me in mind and think, okay, they're trying to keep this movie going, but they're not trying to just jump immediately to explosions. Right. Or uh, get us involved in this secondary plot that yeah. we'll, we know will eventually become the main plot. Right. Involving... Uh, the tomb raiding right. and these adventures and these mystical items and, you know, trying to keep the forces of darkness at right. bay. And so the, it's, it, you know, you get to about 20 minutes into the film yeah. before she even sort of starts to uncover what it was that her father was right. doing when he got lost. And I enjoyed all of that. I, yeah. I think that in that moment, you're you're kind of struck by the fact that they're taking the time to make Laura a compelling yeah. person and yeah. an interesting character. At the same time, it starts to dawn on you that you're kind of watching the origin story. Right. And that's a little disheartening. But, you know, okay, it helps her be her. It helps her to seem to be relatable and not a superhero. Right. Before we jump into like that second half of the film. Yeah. And one of the things that I really appreciate about this is, is people who know the video games know that one of the main aspects of Tomb Raider is the puzzle solving. You have this, this balance that comes between, uh, all this action that's going on, but also some puzzle solving. She gets into these moments where she has to figure things out. She has to, you know, despite what you get from the initial video games, Lara Croft was supposed to be an intelligent person huh. who used her mind in order to solve these complex puzzles from these tombs in order to get the treasure. And I think that's one of the interesting things that they establish in this movie is that she is a thinker and she is a puzzle solver. And you see some of that happening throughout the film that demonstrates her ability and capability to be able to go and do what she's going to do. Yeah, I agree. I think it is probably fair to say, and again, this doesn't really touch on spoilers, it's probably fair to say that there's not a whole lot of tomb raiding in this film. Yeah. The the movie is essentially... Uh, building up to some late-in-the-game Tomb Raiding. Yeah. That was a little disappointing to me because when I see a film like this, one of the things I do, you know, there, you're not going to often hear me say that I want to see a film follow a formula, but when you get an adventure film like this, you do want to see multiple right. locations. You want to see the characters sort of globetrotting. You want to see the interiors right. of all kinds of vast pyramids and get a sense that the, it's a far-flung sort of epic yeah. quest. And um, 
Tomb Raider kind of feels almost deliberately not epic a yeah. lot of times. I, I don't mean that even as an insult, but just that the tone of the film is, is greatly pared down. Yeah. And it ends up being this kind of thing where they're, they're really trying to couch it in realism yeah. to the degree that you can couch a story like this realism. Right. They're trying to avoid as much overtly silly stuff as possible. Yeah. And I don't, and I think they never try to make any scene bombastic that, that it exists for itself, that it takes right. away from what's happening. It does feel like a lot of little challenges, though, which, yeah. which is that it doesn't quite get away from that game feel. Right. It gets away from it up until Laura is now in in route to get to the island. Right. And about that point, I started to feel like the game started... Or I feel like the movie starts clocking itself in, like, game sequences. Yes. And, you know, the first of those being that she's on the rickety boat right, right to, towards the shore and she's got to get off. And you have all those pieces that you have to con, uh, right. to contend with. Now, in that moment, Daniel Wu, who plays Lou Ren, the, yep. the guy that she meets, uh, who's guy who his played, father. Yeah, he played in uh, Into the Badlands, AMC's Into the yes, Badlands. Yes, yes, yes. Is, is Into the Badlands, is that coming back or did that get, that get canceled? Um, I, you know, I'm not sure. They did two seasons of it. I'm still waiting for the second one to hit Netflix. So I feel I can, like it had gained a following. I'm not yeah. sure what happened with it. Yeah, and he was good in Into the Badlands. Yeah. He's good here. Um, and I like that they handle his character in a realistic sort of way. Yeah. I would have liked more of him. Yes. There, yeah. there, there's a limit to that. But this film is also not... Um, it's not terribly long. Or what I should right. say, what I should say is uh, that when the the meat of the story of the action, once the story gets into the plot, the plot proper, yeah. there's not all that much movie left really for it. Right. It's close to two hour movie, right. but we're well into the first hour right. by the time Laura arrives on the the beach, and there's not much of an hour. Left right. for her to be interacting with everybody, right. and so you've got um, actors like Daniel Wu and Walton Goggins, who again, it's in the trailers, you see he's clearly playing the villain. Right? Uh, they don't have a ton to do. They're good. They, right. I think the kind of shocking thing is that everybody's putting their best foot forward, particularly Vicander, who is trying to kind of play Laura very subdued, like right. very uncertain right. and unsure of herself and unsure about what she's going to discover on this island when she's going yes. to meet her father. And Dominique West plays her father, largely seen flashbacks or in video. Yep. And, you know, she's hoping she's going to be able to, to figure that element of the mystery out. Right. And, of course, we know even that initial narration that one of the reasons her father went to this island was to protect something terrible. Right. From getting out and, and you know, yes. causing mayhem. And that kind of sets up expectations that the movie will eventually delve into something supernatural or right. otherworldly. And I I honestly was interested in how the movie went in that direction. Yeah. But again, it's a little, it's almost a, uh, too little too late in a sense. Yeah. Because... While I'm in in with the movie, a lot of what's happening in those middle sections is like a hunt and chase sort of movie, yes. and I've kind of grown tired of those a little yeah. bit. So we're again we're watching a scene where the tension comes from. Will Laura get out of this predicament? Right. That's not any different than King Solomon's Mind. It's not much different than uh, Tarzan movies right. and things like that. But there's because it's played so low key. Right. Um, those scenes don't become boring in and of themselves, right. but I feel like we're sitting there clearly waiting for the right. moment where this becomes a treasure hunt yeah. exploration movie. Right. And it really only does that. I Is it wrong to say the last 20 minutes? Would that be about... No, yeah, uh, I think you're right. Like when we're yeah, finally right down in there, uh, yeah. in between that, it's an action film... Action scenes are good. I, I right. mean, there was a little bit of like dark editing at certain points. You always want sure. to be able to see that stuff clearly. Yeah. But I I enjoyed most of the scenes. I didn't yeah. have any uh, real issue with anything that was done. I appreciated some of her first skirmishes yep. with some of the characters yep. were realistic yes. and took into account that, hey, I'm fighting a human being here. Right. And then and in this circumstance, a human being might die instead of a video game that almost right. always wipes out people in, right. in scads. That's not right. to say people don't get wiped out in scads maybe right. later on. But the, the movie seems to be aware of the fact that these characters may have to take lives. Right. Well, and one of the things that I think, um, you know, you and I were talking about this last night, and I was – I was kind of replaying it over in my head. One of the things that I think they could have done um, in, in an age where you're getting like ridiculously long movies, I really, 
I was getting into the movie. I really felt like I could have I could have stood to go another 20 minutes. But I think what they would have needed to have done is you get this burst of what you were talking about, these action scenes that are going on um, pretty much, you know, almost as soon as she hits the island up until the point where they're doing the actual treasure hunting where it's just one right after the other. And that's kind of the video game-esque part of it. You know, I mean, if you've played the video game, you'll know what I'm talking about, where it's just one thing's happening right after the other, and the movie kind of makes a nod to that. But I almost would have rather have seen more of a struggle, things strung out just a little bit more in between some of those perilous scenes. Instead of having 10 of them crammed into one setting, it's spread out over the course of a little bit more throughout the adventure. And I think you would have... Um, really done a better job at establishing a little bit more of her character, a little bit more of the story. Although I will say that the movie does a great job at pushing and putting that out there, her character, I mean. Um, So much so that, um, you know, I'm looking forward to another one if they they make it. Yeah, and I would agree with that. And I think this is probably the, the point where I can kind of, you know, show my hand, so to speak, say that I'm actually in the positive on this movie. I think yeah. it was a fun matinee adventure movie. It feels like a movie. I could have seen this movie outside the fact of knowing there's a Tomb Raider video right. game and feel like it can stand alone. It right. does kind of break that video game curse element where it's yeah. like it, a lot of struggles this movie has really don't have that much to do, I don't think, with it being adapted from a video game. Yeah, um, I agree. So... One of the things that I think, again, affects it, there is a sense of pacing. It's not necessarily that the pacing is bad or that in any given moment you really feel it, but I think you are waiting for the other shooter drop right. or to develop this sense of just over the top. The movie is kind of even keel good, if you will. Right. You're watching it and you realize all the pieces are in place. Right. There's some thoughtfulness going into dialogue. And when Laura's on that island, there are some events that are going to happen that are a little different than the than the game yeah, yeah. that that put her in a proximity to so a little bit more emotional development. Yes, but to me, while those things happen, I don't know that the emotional investment was very high because they're played so subdued. Right, I'm watching them happen. I you know I'm enjoying the fact that we're getting this, but it doesn't really feel very visceral. It's right. not hitting you just like some of the action scenes. You're observing them. They, um, the action scenes are more visceral than any of the emotional yes. work. And because they slow down to take that in, because they've given us her as an actual character, yeah. it, it the movie feels a little flat because it doesn't just go over that final line. It doesn't quite push the payoff in regards to some character development. Yeah. I mean, normally arguing about character development in a Tomb Raider movie would be completely ridiculous. Right. But this movie creates a kind of vessel right. for it, and it probably only fills it about halfway up. Yeah. So... So I enjoyed it, and it's like it's so good in some ways. It kind of it fulfills what you want, right. that then you're almost a little surprised that it just doesn't go that extra mile. Right. Because I'm looking at these pieces and saying, you have the pieces to make – honestly, they do. Right. They've got the pieces in place to make a Raiders-level piece of entertainment. Yeah. Uh, director's not on the same, the same level, but they've got the pieces there. Yeah. They've got the raw materials, and, and they don't – they don't even seem to want to try, you right. know. Uh, the tomb rating stuff honestly feels almost tacked on, yeah. And it feels a little been there, done that. Like there's yeah. just we've seen these kind of puzzles that have to be solved, done. Yeah. There are a lot of elements that harken back to Last Crusade, yeah. And there's some stuff to Raiders, but there's never, there's no action scene in this film uh, that ever matches up to really anything we saw in any of those Raiders, of right. those Indiana Jones movies. Um, I would dare say, and I'm not a. I, this is a better film than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah, but there are moments in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull that were more exciting. Yeah, not the swinging through the vines of monkeys right, I give right. you, but there were scenes in that film that were more exciting than what happens here. And it's it's almost like sometimes it wants to be too sensible. Yeah, and I think that might be the Nordic sensibility coming in because this director, how I. I might butcher this name. His name is... It's awesome. His first name is Roar. His name is Roar Uthog. If there was anyone to ever direct a Tomb Raider movie, Roar Uthog is a much cooler name than Simon West. But, um... And his... It's funny, because we were talking about the beginning how that first Tomb Raider kind of had a... Uh, in the in the in the video game, in that hunting and stalking section, it had that yeah. feel of, of a horror film. And yeah. his first movie was a sort of Swedish slasher movie called Cold Prey, where you had a oh, female wow. antagonist... <laughs> 
uh, not, excuse me, you had a female protagonist at a ski resort fighting this big masked dude yeah. in like a parka with a pickaxe. <laughs> and it, and because of the nature of it, it became less like a slasher film and more this survival battle where she's out in the right. So he kind of cut his teeth on those. His big movie was a movie in 2015 called The Wave. Your wife might enjoy it. Right. It was a big like Swedish disaster movie. Nice. But again, the interesting in watching these movies is there's a, there's a strange like, uh, he did an interesting movie too called Escape that was a very visceral sort of um, medieval hunt and, oh, okay. and uh, survival kind yeah. of movie. Uh, it may even be on Netflix. It was for a while. Okay. I really enjoyed that one. But there is a subdued nature to them, which is strange to think when you're talking about this kind of material and right. the sort of Nordic sensibility right. that these films will be subdued. Right, right. But um, he didn't direct it, but there was one a few years back, and it, this also may be on Netflix. I'm throwing a lot of titles at you guys. Called Ragnarok, not to be confused oh, yeah. obviously with Thor Ragnarok. Right, did right. you see this? I did not, but I I know what you're talking. Yeah, about. and it was it was an Indiana Jones esque adventure movie, kind of coupled with a B monster movie yeah. a little bit, kind of family oriented. Where a family dealing with a lot of the the, the father child elements that show up in here, they're yeah. on an island looking for something. The mythology in this film deals with Midgard Serpent, which is this sort of gigantic snake, and there may or may not be a, right. a giant snake on the island, right and that's another movie. It's fun. It's an enjoyable matinee movie, but it just you keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I just kind of felt like um, right. it never really does. It sets up the. It, it clearly sets up a second film. Yeah, and I think it does it pretty effectively. Yeah. Um, but my feeling is it's a pretty strong matinee movie. Yeah. I, I, I like uh, to me the matinee movie is that sort of film that like. You would feel completely fine. And it almost is made for that. That yeah. like Saturday afternoon yeah. with a big bucket of popcorn yeah. kind of deal. Um, I tend to be a little more liberal when I take my kids' movies. I'm not going to take them to this one. This is yeah. definitely more in that. I think the yeah. PG-13, it's not um, – there's violence yeah. there. I would say there's nothing in this film that's any worse than anything that was in some of the Raiders of the Lost oh, Ark. Oh, yeah. I would totally um, agree. I, I, yeah. I, I would still say if you show me some of the stuff happens towards the end of this film – and you show me Raiders as a small child, I would still freak out more over Raiders. Right, right. Um, yeah. But, so I think I think that it's acceptable if you get into that 10. Yeah. To, you know, maybe yeah. depending if you have a, a, a relatively mature 8 or 9-year-old. Yeah. If they've watched, you know, it's, it's a little bit more gritty than, say, Black Panther. Sure. Uh, but not, maybe not a lot. Right. Well, and I think part of what makes, um, what makes this, you know, that, that age range a little more uh, complex than even Black Panther and things like that is there, there's, there's more visceral, real reactions to these real-life scenarios that are going on. You know, her, her emotions to being placed into these situations are very, they're very raw. And so you, you're feeling the things that she's feeling. And so I think those are the things that really, you know, when you're looking at, you know, okay, could I bring my child to this? You really want to evaluate that because, you know, as an adult, I'm I'm looking at the thing she's doing and I'm like, Wow, you know, I, I'm feeling the emotion that's no. she's feeling in this moment. Definitely not a sensitive kid, and I yeah. think there's just thematically, um, if they're into those sorts of adventure movies, like again, I think that the original Tomb Raiders are a lot more gentle in some ways because they're right. so silly, right. and you're not really taking any of it seriously. Right. Uh, the fact that we're talking about feelings and seriousness in this video game movie right. context is good. Yeah. And again. I like that the style of the movie, when you want to compare some of what the movie is doing to an older style movie, yes. something like to go back to a film in the 30s and look at that structure as 1930s like adventure yeah. films, uh, they were cheesy. Yeah. They were a little arc in the way they were put together. This movie is too in some ways. Yeah. But it's got it's like the A-list budget and everything backing right. a kind of B-level yeah. story. National Treasure. I think this – I was trying to use this example. Yeah. Someone was asking me today, a friend, and was like at work – well, you know, is it like Indiana Jones? I'm like, hey, it's more National Treasure than Indiana right. Jones. For me, it's not a slag. I enjoyed the National, tre- the first National yep. Treasure movie, and thought it was good. Yeah, uh, but not. It didn't try to be anything else other than right. good. Once it achieved good, it was like, okay, we're done. Right. And we'll I do would another love, one, and that'll be it. We'll call I it think the, some of the highest praise I can give this one is it made me very interested to see a second movie. I would yes. love to see a second movie. I would love to see this whole creative team come back, but really. Look into upping the ante, yes. looking into how to really push this over the line. Realize 
this kind of movie that you're making, it always benefits when you take a few risks and just go out there yes. and go gonzo. One of the things that I would like to see, too, is, you know, everybody's coming out with the director's cuts, the director's editions. I would be fascinated for them to make a director's edition of this and see the comparison, to see if there were things in there that maybe added to the things that we were talking about that for time's sake or whatever it was, just ended up hitting the cutting room floor that, you know, when it comes and it's released on Blu-ray or DVD, we're able to kind of pull that and see some of those things. I I would just be curious at that. I would too. I wonder a little bit because of how methodical the movie is moving from place to place, if there is that much more. You know, that maybe it's extensions of scenes. There's one subplot I can think of that I had almost had, there would almost have to be more. Yeah. But I don't want to get into it, and right. I, and and I feel like we're missing a lot of um, Walton Goggins' motivation too. Right. Like he yeah. he seems like he's missing almost a whole first act of this yeah. film, and um, you know we, we meet him, we, he's he's well into his own story right. by the time we meet him, and we don't really, I, I just don't feel like we sufficiently learn much right. about him, right? And and one of the things that I will say is um, based on. Uh, having played through both video games beginning to end and the storylines of those, seeing this movie, um, you'd be able to fill in a lot of his gaps, I think, to a certain extent. It's certainly um, – it's a different villain and different character than what you see in there, but there are similarities that you could be like, okay, I can kind of fill in the gaps on my own with some of this stuff. It's not so – there's not so much missing to this character that you're like – and I I don't get it. I don't get him. Yeah, it's just more that I don't think he makes much of an impact. Yes. You think of some of these yeah. other films, and uh, for example, particularly the first two. Now, I will say, you get to the third Indiana Jones movie, right? Uh, the villains aren't very memorable there, right? Uh, the it's fourth the Nazis. one, yeah, it's well, not even specific but, ones. But this, right, the specific characters. You have the female character right. and the other. Uh, um, but in the first two films, I mean, you have yeah. Mola Ram in the second movie, he's right. tearing people's hearts out right. of their chests. Uh, and the, the villains in the first Raiders, they are distinct people. I mean, yes. you, and you, you remember who they are. Gangas goes the way of some of those characters in the later Indian yes. movies. Even, even the fourth movie, where you have Cate Blanchett, like, she's completely disposable. She just doesn't make much of an impression. Right. And that's kind of what happens here. Goggins is good. I guess I should say sure. he's good and he's imposing while he's on screen. Right. But um, you, you again, you just wish they'd do a little more with him. Yeah. But all in all, I was pretty pleased with it. I do really enjoy the fact that this is now um, – it's March, mid-March. We've got – this is the third – big movie yeah. uh actually you uh, this is the fourth movie i've i've seen well no let me take that back this is the <laughs> fifth movie i've seen in a row where uh primarily driven by female characters yeah. i would say i would say black panther yeah uh that the female characters are very front and center. Yeah. They drive a lot of the movie. Yeah. Um, there's a science fiction movie in theaters right now called Annihilation. We reviewed on the last one yep. where you have an entire group of female scientists going on the kind of survival quest that you see in uh, that's usually a male oriented right. sort of thing. Wrinkle in Time with its female yep. protagonist last week. Um, I don't have good things to report about that Red Sparrow movie with uh, with Jennifer <laughs> Lawrence, but again, uh, a female led film yeah. in that regards too. And so. Um, this is now you're looking at the fourth or fifth movie, right. with, and and the kind of movie we're talking about here. Yes. These are f- movies that primarily were always dominated by male actors. Yes. These are big tentpole films, and they're driven almost entirely by not just by female characters, but well conceived female yes. characters that have a purpose, that have their own story, and they yes. aren't there to be eye candy. Yeah. I, in every case I can think of, yeah. of those movies, these are real characters, and these are their stories. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's an impressive thing. That's That shows that there's a shift. And it's not it's not just a, um, a face value sort of thing. Right. It's like they're... There's some real effort going on right. here, and I'm happy that this is the first that I can really think of video game movie that worked for me. Yes. And I, I like say that I would be excited to watch a sequel for. Yeah, I absolutely I agree 100%. In fact, um, I was talking with Joy about it, and we're going to try to go out and see it either on a Saturday morning or a Tuesday night for like five bucks, and uh, because I think she would enjoy this type of movie too. Yeah, and it's it, it does it really. It'll benefit from that trip to the theater. It, it had me in a kind of nostalgic frame of mind just yeah. watching it. A very certain kind of adventure movie. 
one that they don't make a lot of. Yeah, exactly. So if you know this is your thing, yeah. go to the theater and see yeah. it. Even if you don't know it's your thing, I mean, it's 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 worth a watch. I mean, yeah. you know, right between now and, um, I mean, you've got Ready Player One coming out in a couple weeks. But if you're, you know, between now and a couple weeks, if you're looking to go see a movie, this is one that, you know, of everything else that's in the theater at this point, I would say, hey, check it out. You know, it's it, it's worth the watch. Yeah. Um, last week, I kind of reviewed Wrinkle in Time. I was probably harsher on the film than I would be now. I think that if you've got kids and you do want to take them out to see a film, yeah. there's some benefit to it. It was a disappointment, but it was it's not it's not a terrible sure. movie. Sure. Um, and I think kids could get something out yeah. of it. That would be the kid's choice. Yeah. Um, but this is a this is a better movie than that one, yeah. in my opinion, and uh, it's definitely worth seeing. And next week is Pacific Rim too, so I don't know. If right. I, I don't necessarily know you'll be getting a better movie next right. week. Right. Um, so that's that's Tomb Raider, and I guess we can we can wrap up with talking about something <laughs> a little less classy. I don't know if I would ever say the words a little less classy than Tomb Raider, but. It's something that's near and dear to our heart, Nathan. Yes, Come on. <laughs> our bloody, beating, pumping heart. It's pretty strange, I think, that somehow, and I don't know if it was some attempt to be classy, that we somehow never have discussed in any detail. Maybe a little bit. I know we did a Big Trouble Little China podcast. Yeah. We probably talked a little bit about the Evil Dead, yeah. but not in any kind of um, detail, which actually surprises me, particularly the fact that Chris and I have been doing like 30 or 40 of these things, right. and, and, and Seth, uh, Don Beck with me, and the, the, and recently bringing Jason Coupler in, that none of us who are horror fans have really talked extensively <laughs> about this, and that you would be the one to talk about Ash vs. the Evil Dead with me. But, who, is, who is out of everyone the least interested in horror movies, right. but I absolutely love these. And, I mean, and, and there's no need to kind of really cover this. I mean, people, they're out there, the Sam Raimi directed yeah. a uh, trilogy of movies originally, Evil Dead 1, 2, 3, yeah. which their primary distinctive feature is that three movies, and they're not really all that alike. Right. Two yeah. and three are similar, but right. one is a legitimate low-budget horror movie with yes. a kind of darkly comic bent to it. Two is like Three Stooges meet. Yes. And I found a great quote um, where Roger Ebert was one of those few, I, I just like the third time I mentioned it, but he was one of those, he, I think because he was a guy who wasn't afraid to like, like trash. Right. And, and unapologetically show, and we wouldn't even call it trash, but say, right. hey, you know what? I like this movie because it was cheesy and it was silly. Right. And when Evil Dead 2 came out, there was a huge uproar, sort of everyone banging on about the, and you know, how it was just in bad taste. And right. I think his, his quote basically says, you know, people are complaining about how, uh, Evil Dead 2 is in bad taste. He goes, no, no, it's about bad taste. (laughs) And that feeling was downplayed a bit when Army of Darkness came out because it was almost like the studio had Universal picked it up. Yes. And they had dreams of making it this kind of like, it's a matinee, kind of almost a spoof of matinee adventure movies. And it's really just about PG-13. It almost is strange that it's not. If you were to see it edited on television... A kid could watch most yeah. of that. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, with with no problem. Um, I think the first movie, the th- theatrical cut, is mostly rated R because he drops an f bomb once. Right, right. Um, and uh, it's milder than some PG thirteen movies we'll see now. Yeah. It's, it's much milder than Tomb Raider. Oh yeah. But <laughs> then you know Bruce Campbell, who's the star of those movies, it goes a very long time before they make more of them. Yeah. He makes a movie, but he becomes a cult sort of icon right. in the meantime. He's done other stuff, uh, Adventures of Briscoe County yes. Jr., which was really fun, yep. family oriented. A western show that came out in the nineties. Yep. They paired it with the X Files, and unfortunately, it never really like took off and only had like one season but it was really a lot of fun they yeah. were kind of basing it all not basing it but i think they're trying to do something similar to wild wild west with yes. that with um back in the day yeah and then which was of course made into that terrible will Smith right. movie but um this one uh briscoe county jr it's good and i yeah. i think you could probably find the dvds out there i don't know if they're oh, not yeah. um if they're in print anymore or not but i know that it was a good show it's yeah. kind of for the family ash versus evil dead is not yeah <laughs> it's funny to see it pick up so far after the fact we're now yes. on season three to even think that there's this uh and of course bruce campbell is you know ash williams this guy who now has a chainsaw for his had a right. chainsaw for a hand after his hand attacked him in evil dead right. too i think people kind of downplay well People who haven't seen the film probably aren't aware of how much great physical comedy yes. is in that second movie. And a lot of it's down to Campbell. There's a scene where his hand, he's fighting his own hand, yes. and it's all bizarro <laughs> pantomime. And it's one of the strangest things you'll ever see. <laughs> and there's that amazing shot where the monster, which is basically like a 
camera mounted on the front of a bike yes. is chasing, chasing him, him through the house yeah. and it suddenly gets confused Yes, and it doesn't know where he went because he's hiding in like closet yeah. and this thing is just nothing can stop it. It's tearing through everything and it just gets in the house right. and it's looking around and it can't find him and it goes back and gets, gets angry and leaves. Um, stuff like that, just brilliant stuff that you can't really, I mean, it's an amazing movie for physical comedy and for yes. just goofy humor and Somewhere along that way, Bruce Campbell must have decided that he doesn't really like Ash Williams that much. And Ash was sort of a hero, although a hapless one in the movies. Right. Becomes this kind of schmuck. Is yeah. there a better word? He's just yeah. kind of a kind of a d bag. <laughs> yeah, um, he's not a guy you could, you really care a lot about. He's purposefully. He's bad Santa. He's like yeah. Billy Bob Thornton, bad Santa. And, and well, let's put it this way: for years. This evil is sleeping, and the way it wakes up again is in a pot-induced. Yes, trying yes. to seduce. He, he finds the Book of the Dead, yeah. and while he's on a like a a, a, a boozed-out trip to hook up, he uh, <laughs> and and he's high as a kite. Yeah, he reads, finds a thing of weed slipped in the middle of the Book yeah. of the Dead, and decides to read some passages which bring out monsters and right. results in tons of gore. And the gore ante has clearly been up since the days of Evil Dead. And so Sam Raimi's like, let's just throw down the gauntlet. And a few years ago, the stars picked up yeah. Ash versus Evil Dead, and it's now in its third season. Yeah. And I won't go into much more of that, but I mean, uh, we now have Lucy Lawless has been a regular yep. for a while. You have his two buddies up with Pablo oh. and Kelly, which are really – it's what's so weird about the show is Ash has always written so broadly and stupidly – it's it's like an Al Bundy level like yes. sketch of a yes. human being, and it wasn't always like that. I feel like in the series, no. uh, Campbell did directed a movie back in about two thousand eight, I think. Uh, my name is Bruce. Yes, where he was basically making fun of the character. Like, what if the kids who saw these movies and thought he was such an awesome hero in the right. Evil Dead movies met him, and Bruce Campbell just turned out to be a schlub. Right. Uh, I actually saw the movie down at the Landmark in Harbor East. And Campbell was there, like, and he's and he's not a schlub. He's a pretty funny guy. In fact, he uh, he offered ten bucks to anyone who had seen, I think, uh, Alien Apocalypse or something. And I was like, oh, me. He's like, here, I ought to cover the chips and rental fee. Um, but the movie, the uh, like, the Evil Dead movies are sort of one thing. This one references them a lot. Yeah, it has a lot of the style. But it just isn't afraid to make him look as ridiculous and oh, terrible yeah. as possible. But around that, you'll get kind of convincing, creepy scenes. You'll right. get the the other characters sometimes behave like human beings. Right. And he's <laughs> the one, like, over the Still top. Still stuck element. in middle school. Yeah. Oh, except in season two, they do bring in Lee Majors as his yes. dad. What I'm fascinated <laughs> by, though, is that as much as it's different... They keep tying it back into the old movies. Yes. I mean, so much so that they're bringing in season two. They find ways to bring back actors from the original yes. series. Yeah. Lucy Lawless from Xena that that Robert Tappert and uh, Raimi worked with back then for right. Xena. They bring her in here, and she gets to just do some crazy yes. stuff. And I don't want to get a lot of like spoiler for the show, but it's just if you, if you see a ceiling, it just goes beyond that. Yeah, the first season. Was little over the top, but yeah. I never felt it really like came into season two. And it, like, there's that scene where they go into the morgue, yeah, and he <laughs> ends up with his head lodged in a corpse's like rectum with like the like genitalia and smacking like, him in the face. Yes. I mean, I don't know if we were, he's like looking out the yes. stomach, like, what's going on? A screaming, I'm in the butt, yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, it's just, it's way off the chain, and it just gets worse. Yeah. And then season three, for everyone who's in the know, like season two involved them going back in time. And strangely, not much gets changed. Like, I always complain about movies where they do time travel, because, okay, now how are you going to account for the paradoxes? And this one's like, they throw a line out in this new episode, and there's so much, there's almost no cohesion between the end of season two and the start of this one, because there's whole... I'm, the whole characters just evaporate and disappear. Right. We are now three episodes in, and I have no clue what happened to one or two characters. And and there's a Pablo's a throwaway line. Yeah, we went back in time, and nothing changed. It was really right. strange. <laughs> and that, that's about it. My it's pretty lazy, but I'll give you that. Right. Uh, the, the, if you've watched any of the promos or seen anything, you know that like uh, it starts right out that you know 
Well, Ash has, Ash has his dad's hardware store, which he has co-opted. It's also it, there's a few uh, intimations that it's also a sex shop, yeah. which is covered in a very cheesy but hilarious video that he's made. That is is on TV advertising yeah. the the uh, the store. And that's uh, a Pablo was another line like it seems kind of strange people small town get all psyched up about the opening of a hardware store and it's like lines are out the door and he, he's got like a fish and chip stand in yes. front of the I mean Kelly sort of out of the picture initially yep. in the episode it isn't very long before they bring her back and yep. they bring with her a character who my first view I'm looking at him he's clearly I think Campbell calls him the boy toy yeah like when he comes in it's immediately clear that he's like kind of supposed to be a like supernatural throw off. Like yes. he has that like Jensen Ackles reject <laughs> look to him. And uh, and you comment it'd be funny to see those characters. Yeah. It might be too much crossing <laughs> the streams in that that regard. But uh so far I've gotta say that I've enjoyed these three episodes more than I've enjoyed the other episodes. Yeah. Um yeah. they're more off the wall. Yeah. They're really strange. Uh but they are they do seem to be trying to connect to the characters a little yeah. bit more. It seems it's weird again to say that this is character driven in right. any way, but they are like particularly the characters that surround Ash, and one of those right. being um, his daughter Brandy, right. who takes like three times to get her name right. Yeah, uh, she <laughs> has she has presence almost immediately. Yes. Like the minute you see her, you realize, and she's a good foil for Campbell. Yes. And, and this only being 30, epi- 30 minutes, this is the first time where I wanted the show to be just a little longer <laughs> yes. because before I was pretty much done with it yeah. at the end of 30 minutes. There's better directing, yeah. really. Um, and, and more, even though Raimi didn't direct any of these episodes, he did a couple, I think, of season one, maybe yeah. season two, I don't remember. But uh, in, in, in this one, there is a real effort to replicate some of the feel yeah. of particularly Evil Dead 2. Right. There's a yes. scene in a... Um, in a band room inside of a high school that's just sort of amazing and it amazingly apes the kind of stuff that Raimi was doing uh, in some of in all the Evil Dead films you know we have we have a couple scenes from the viewpoint of a guitar and a cymbal (laughs) and a violin string and uh, there's stuff like that each episode has its own sort of um, set piece I think that tops the next one there's a a, I'm just going to say that at one point he goes to a sperm bank. Yes. And I don't know if there's anything else that really should be said about that. No. You'll know your mileage for that when it happens. Uh, it's interesting to see the dynamic with Pablo and Kelly kind of developing yeah. a little bit. But again, you're just seeing these things in short bursts. Right. Um, but the way the whole thing's put together, there's a there's a weird scene involving a returning character that really has no reason they should have ever been able to return right. in the third episode here, set to Crimson and Clover, which is completely yes. strange and odd, <laughs> but very well done. And, yes. and again, it harkens back to like a classic horrors. There yes. are there are moments that are creepy. Like yeah. oh, there's yeah. a moment where they're being stalked by the old mascot. Yes. Um, as he's is he Coogie? He's yeah, a Coogie that got you too. Uh, you know, is it's just sort of slowly making its way, uh, advancing through the dark as yes. the lights go out, and then. But I think the the strongest of the three episodes is the third one. Yeah, where um, you are starting to get that moment where you've got to have Campbell interacting and yes. playing off of the other characters more. Yeah, and and Ruby's got her own thing going on yeah. here. But um, there's some outrageous stuff. Oh, the, yeah. the funeral scene, everybody grieves in their own way, is by far the best line. Oh, my word. That is and, amazing. Uh, the, this, as, as Ebert, in his, his great knowledge, said, this is about bad taste. Yes. This is not – you shouldn't touch this thing. You don't, don't sit there and say, well, you know what? I, I kind of like hard comics. This is not that. Yeah. This is about bad taste. Yeah. This is if, you know – this is like l- laughing at one long fart joke. If yeah. he told some fart jokes and then some butt jokes yeah. and then maybe threw in some semen jokes. Right. I mean, it's right. a little bit of everything. It is right. not – children should never watch this. Oh, yeah. No, Most no, no. people with any probably self-respect shouldn't watch this. <laughs> uh, but Clearly my if you're probably window. listening to this podcast, you probably <laughs> will want to watch this. Well, and one of the things that I will say for season three so far is one of the things that I really enjoyed about Army of Darkness, it's it's 98 minutes of one-liners. That's really what Army of Darkness is. Like, it's just one one-liner after another. And that's what we're getting a lot more of in season three, where in seasons one and two, I almost felt like they tried to 
they tried to do a little bit more of the dialogue and interaction with Pablo and Kelly and, you know, try to build that up where, where in this Campbell is just reverted back to that. You know, there's oh, a scene he does where some of like, that physical comedy yeah, in the band room. Yeah. That's very reminiscent of army of darkness, yeah. but like re- crazy, like uh, Mo Howard yeah, exactly. slap takes and stuff. Yeah. Um, so what was your favorite? You have a favorite one liner? Well, it was, it was just, it, it, the reason why it's my favorite is because it harkens back to, Army of Darkness, where he, where he's pointing his shotgun at oh, the blow. trumpet yeah. and blow, yeah, because it, and and it's funny, and this is how much of a nerd I am is like that you, but uh, Campbell and company know that that you're yeah. gonna immediately. Like, he, he says that to one of the the, the gals dad, when they yeah. come up to him. Well, he's like, oh, yeah. first you want to kiss me now, yeah, or first you want to kill me now, you want to kiss me, blow, <laughs> and he just yeah. does it to, He's sitting there, they're feeding him turkey legs and stuff, and then then the deadite comes up, yeah, and. Uh, I think one of my other favorite line aside of this is, you know, the grieving line was, uh, I love the smell of old man in the morning. (laughs) Just, just absurdity for absurdity's sake. I, um, it's inexplicable, but it is definitely up the ante from the older movies. this is almost more in the lines. Peter Jackson, his early work, he did a movie in between called Dead Alive. Did you ever see this? I didn't know. It's no. it's just like nonstop wall to wall gore, but this is trying to match it. So, like, <laughs> in to give you a concept of anybody who's listening who hasn't seen this, in the, you know the Army of Darkness movie or Evil Dead and the Army of Darkness had chainsaw, you know, right. as a weapon of choice. Uh, there's a push mower that a guy picks up and straps to his chest in Dead Alive and just runs full tilt through some zombies. And at one point, the mower blade is so caked with gore that he has to restart it a few times. I think there's death by lawn gnome. Uh, uh, someone grabs somebody's head with a rake and puts it in a vice. And ter- I mean, oh it's... It's bizarre. And also great lines. Uh, Your mother ate my dog as he pulls the tail out of the mouth. Not all of it. So, but um, yeah, good stuff. So if you're into that kind of schlocky, um, gory, be yeah. fun, they've managed to capture it with Ash vs. Evil Dead. Yeah. It's definitely a guilty pleasure, but uh, there is pleasure to be had. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, in... You know, getting a chance, you and I were talking about this, like, you know, season two, I think, I think even out of everything so far still has one of my favorite episodes where Ash is committed to a mental institution and he's got a hand puppet Ash that he's, that he's talking with. And it almost kind of reminds me a little bit of when like, um, Angel was still on the, when they Buffy and Angel and there was an episode where Angel and team or Angel himself was turned into like a. Sesame Street style puppet. Yeah. <laughs> so they do some fun stuff with that and, and Campbell gets to do a lot of weird physical comedy yes. with it again. Um, it's interesting too because they kind of bring in Army of Darkness there's that kind of storyline involving where he's gone back to the Middle Ages yes. and sort of becomes the hero in the past. Yeah. And that happens at the end of Evil Dead 2. I think there were some rights issues that yes. happened because yep. between Evil Dead 1, 2, and 3. And I don't know if that's... I mean, I... I, I feel like you can still rewrite the same story and have right. it in there. But even the Ash versus the Evil Dead, even though we've had a little bit of time travel, not back that far, right. back like the events of the original film, they don't... Um, well, first off, Evil Dead 2, in a way, is a remake of Evil Dead right, 1. Right, exactly. Like, the first yeah. 10 or 15 minutes is a remake, yes. and then you've got the rest of the movie. And then Army of Darkness, while following up on Evil Dead 2, is its own beast yep. as well. But they've not really referenced a lot of anything that's happened in Army of Darkness. But we're starting yeah. to get those pictures that were te- right. technically part of Evil Dead 2, right. where you see him as the hero in the past right. with his his um, chainsaw Hands raised in the raised air. Up, yeah. And but I'm starting to I'm starting to wonder if we're not going a little bit in that direction because you have some right. references. Uh, you've got a character here who shows up as he's a Knights of something, yes. you know, the Knights yeah. of Samaria or yeah. whatever, and. Which gets that feeling of the clandestine group who's been fighting evil since this 1400s time frame. And there's a very specific scene involving Ruby that is all completely centered around uh, that that picture of him. And there's hints. I don't know if that's where it's going, but the first thing I talk about, there's talks of, of, of creating a... Duplicate Ash, which yes. was a very big component yes. of Army of, of Darkness. Darkness. I don't know if it'll go that yeah. way, um, but I like that maybe we're heading more towards that sort yeah. of Army of Darkness hero. The poster art for this, every season's got different poster art, and this is yep. fantastic. It's him standing on the jaws of uh, like 
a giant yeah. dead eye so big that his basically his his he's one straddling foot, he's straddling it, yeah. and his feet are holding the mouth apart yeah. and he's pointing the shotgun down and it says something like time to test the metal of man or right. whatever and another good line was uh you know don't get in the way of a papa bear and his cub yeah. <laughs> so we'll leave the rest for you to discover it's yes. fun i'm is there about 10 episodes yeah uh, 10 per season more? Yeah. yeah so um they were interviewing Campbell about this. I was like, well, you know, what should we really look out for? And he says, well, the end, the end's awesome. So we'll see. I don't, I think they're up in the air on whether they'll get like yeah. renewed. So yeah. I think they're going full, full tilt, tilt and just yeah. seeing what they can do. I think they'll be ready if they get another season, but right. I think that they're, hopefully they won't go that Chris Carter route who did the X-Files and just constantly never wraps his stuff up, right. even though it's unlikely. It's a miracle every time he gets a chance to do something. Right. I, I feel like they're going to deliver, and if they get to do more, they get to do more. Right. So Yeah. Well, and I think, too, like one of the things that, you know, even with Army of Darkness, like Army of Darkness kind of had a resolution to it, even though it didn't. Like you have the Deadite that comes up at the end, but he kills the Deadite in the Superstore, and then... You know, you've got the girl that's like falling at his feet, and you know. Well, it depends on which version you watch. Yeah, I think Raimi released one. Some of the in some markets where he's um, he do you see where he's trapped? He sleeps too long. It's like Rumple. I mean, it's like Rip Van Winkle. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So he goes into the cave and he wakes up and like the world's destroyed and Big Ben is broken (laughs) and he's got this giant beard and he's screaming, "I slept too long." And I, and I think Campbell has said he prefers that ending because he just wants to see Ash like in torment or right. something to that effect. So, um, oh, that's spoiled funny. the ending there. But I prefer the 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 S Mart and yeah. which resulted in the movie being released in Japan in some markets as Mister Supermarket, <laughs> which is which is absurd given that like at least close to the entire movie is yes. set in the Middle Ages. <laughs> Oh, like somebody watched five minutes of this thing and said, I got a title. <laughs> Everybody will get yes, this one. Right. <laughs> All right, guys. I think that's it for us. Nathan, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, out, thank guys. you. Take care, ma'am.